response and the attacks on God's people Israel. And Israel has not retaliated but protected themselves and so I would say good for them. And there's a lot of people who hate Israel for responding and they call it retaliation and uh, they always spin it so that Israel the bad people, the bad ones, the aggressors, but they're defending themselves. And uh, if you put it in a personal way, if someone attacked your home, what would you do? Well, you defend your home as much as you could, and that would be right. And so, uh, pray for Israel. And uh, there's God's people. They're not perfect people. Uh, nationally, they are God's people. But personally, some of them are pretty vile, like America, to pretty vile. And so, as America was blessed by God, Israel is blessed by God as well. But uh, in the village, you always have people that are bad. But don't let that keep you from saying God's people is Israel. They still are. All right, uh, so today we're going to go to Exodus, continue with the book of Exodus, chapter 15. Exodus, chapter 15. And so let us pray. We started. Thank you, Lord, for the day you've given to us. We pray for your help this morning in both services, in the Chinese service. And we pray that people will get a blessing from your word. We pray for Israel. We pray that you defend uh, her. And we know that from the Bible, uh, you bless those that bless thee and curse those that curse thee. So Israel is the apple of your eye, and we pray that you would help uh, them to be um, careful, and they are careful in how they defend themselves. And so we pray that regardless of what anybody says, that they would continue to do uh, good for their own people. Bless them, protect them. Bless uh, Mr. Netanyahu, and give him guidance and strength. And uh, bless the soldiers and all those who are defending their country. We pray that you would help them to be careful, be wise, and be efficient. And so it's unfortunate that lives are lost during war, but uh, it seems like there's no other way to protect yourselves when someone attacks you except put down the enemy. And so we pray that you help them to be firm and strong. Bless them, we pray. Bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 15. The whole chapter is a song of praise because, remember, they have just been delivered from Israel. And it's a great emancipation, a great momentous occasion. It is life-changing, it is historical, and now they are on the other side, chapter 15, verses one, two, and three. This is a song of Moses and Miriam, verse 15, chapter 15, verse number one. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And so this seems to be a spontaneous song. Now look at verse number 20. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And so Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, she also uh, spontaneously, it seems like, breaks out into music and song. And so she has the ability to rattle that timbrel. Uh, I guess a little simple too, isn't it, Francis? You just shake it, rattle it, and you go, know, and somehow it all kind of blends in as to uh, a song. And so she leads the women. Um, it's not important to say she doesn't lead the men, but it is noteworthy that she leads the women and women follow her. And Moses leads the whole congregation in singing a song to God. And um, timber with their hand. Women went out after her with timbers and dances. 
Now that word dances in verse 20 seems to justify people today to do dancing as part of their worship. Well, historically, and this is what happened, and the dancing here probably is not the kind of dancing that you see today uh, in secular settings, especially not in secular settings, but also in so-called worship settings where people do certain kind of dances. Dances have become very popular in the last 25 years in churches, especially non-denomination type churches. It seems to attract people who like that a worship service is, oh, this is not too bad. Oh, this is like something I'm used to. Oh, this is something I'm familiar with. Oh, this is not so super sanctimonious kind of thing, see? And it seems to be more accommodating to the, the one in a service, uh, usually a stranger or even the, the so-called Christians in the church. And so the dancing is probably not the type that we think of. Uh, David's wife, remember, she, Micah, she danced when the ark came back. Uh, David danced when the ark came back. Micah, his wife, resented that. Because uh, she was humiliated that her husband, the king, acted so human, so humble, so one of the people, so normal. And so she was upset with that. But David's dance probably was not the kind of dance you think of like you see today. Now, nowadays, there's a different kind of dance that's very popular. It is um, boogie, boogie kind of dancing. And it's all over the place, it seems like. You go on YouTube, shorts, these people, these massive people, guys and girls, they're dressed in suits from the 20s, the 30s. And they're doing this, whatever they're doing to a certain kind of thing. And it's like they're slipping and sliding over ice. I don't know how they do that, but they're dancing. That's not probably the kind of dancing that's done over here. It's probably just, you know, raising up the hand and, you know, jumping, hopping, kind of like a touchdown. Yay, touchdown, that kind of thing. Not provocative, not seductive. It's just showing expressions with the body that you're happy. And so they're rejoicing, they're singing, and they're happy about that. And so um, in verse number three, it says this. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Well, uh, if he's a man of war, then apparently he's well able to defend himself or defend his people more specifically. And the lesson you learn from this whole chapter and from the book of Exodus so far is don't go to war with God. He's a man of war. And of course, he showed his power and might and superiority by the 10 plagues of Egypt. And so you don't want to fight against God as a lesson. The 10 plagues overpowered the false gods of Egypt and over and over again he said you see you see you see I'm superior stop fighting against me I'm a man of war stop fighting against me no matter what you have stop fighting against me. you're gonna lose and so verse number 11 he says this who is like unto thee O Lord among the gods who is like thee glorious and holy holiness fearful in praises doing wonders so after the Lord is said to be a man of war. Throw a few verses afterwards. He is said, uh, who is like, who can compare to him? Nobody, nobody. And so none of the gods of Egypt could rescue the Egyptian, nor the Pharaoh. They were all powerless against the almighty God. And that's the God that we belong to. And that's the God that the Hebrews belong to and belong to. Now, here is some verses to explain how much superior how more superior God is compared to the false gods of Egypt. Look at verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his host have he cast, cast into the sea, thrown into the sea. Uh, and then his chosen captains also drowned in the Red Sea. Look at verse number 5. The depths have covered them. They were overwhelmed. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Helpless, totally helpless. 
all their armor, their chariots, all the whatever weapon, nothing helped them. They sank like a stone. Verse number six, <coughs> thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. That's a striking image of someone who just throws something to the ground, stomps on something, or just hits it, and the thing just breaks apart. Dash it. That's superiority. You ever see Mike Tyson hit someone with his with his right hand or right hook? That little guy was not so little. When he hit you, it was said that he could break your jaw. And if he hit you in the gut, oh, he was, um, the word is devastating when he hits you. Heavyweight boxing is different from lightweight boxing. Um, both are devastating with a hit, but a heavyweight boxer, George Foreman, Mike Tyson, uh, Holly, Holyfield, all those guys, when they hit you, they hit you just right with all that force, that technique, and they hit you, you see in slow motion how con contorted their faces are. Oh, it's such a powerful hit. And um, I, was, I was looking at somebody who was practicing self-defense. If someone grabs you, here's what you can do to them. Someone goes through your throat, they say, um, don't punch back. Do that hit with your palm right on his chin and it'll go up like that and just stiff arm him. You ever see a football player stiff arm? He can push away a, a tapter and he gains it from that stiff arm. Anyway, there's uh, all kinds of things that can be devastating with the hand. The Lord's right hand, verse 6, becomes glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. Come to verse number uh, verse number 7. And in the greatness of thine excellency hast thou overthrown them. Think, Polly, look out. Think, King Commandment, overthrown, thrown over, thrown over the enemies in the United Island chain. Thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as devil. All of these words reflect the overpowering might of God over the greatest nation in the world at that time. Verse number eight, and with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together, the flood stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. Verse nine, the enemy said, I will pursue. Pharaoh says, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. That's what he thought. That's what he thought. He remorsed letting them go. He had buyer's remorse. And so he went after them. I'm going to do this to them. Verse 10. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank. They sank. First sank as a rock or a stone to the bottom. And then it says in verse 10. They sank as lead. <laughs> sank as lead in the mighty waters. So all these expressions. Don't fight against me. I'm a man of war. I know how to win wars. And then in verse number um, 19. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Well, the horse is mentioned here, the chariot. Of course, the horse is a symbol of power. And that's why God told David, don't count the horses. Don't multiply horses because that's a symbol of strength. And you have a tendency, David, and others to trust in the, the armor, the armor, the tanks, the, the military, the might, the air force. You've been trust all these things and not trust God. And that's the reason why when they marched around Jericho, 
when Joshua marched around Jericho, they were to march around Jericho, not beat on Jericho with battering rams. They were to march around Jericho, and when the walls came down on the seventh day, they marched around seven times, and they shouted the sword Lord, and the sword Lord, Lord. When they shouted, uh, then of course uh, the walls came down, but it wasn't because of their military skill and might. It wasn't because of the Pentagon. It wasn't because of the first five-star generals. It wasn't because of MacArthur. It wasn't because of Pat. It wasn't because of Eisenhower. It wasn't because of all these things. They are a part of that in a regular human war. When it came to God doing something great, God said, just do this. Do something out of the ordinary. March. <laughs> what? March. But Lord, we're trained to fight. March. Okay, when the walls came down, who got the glory? God got the glory. And Israel got the spoils. <laughs> so it's kind of funny and kind of reminder to Israel that when the song was sung, it was a song of victory over the enemy. The enemy was Egypt. And so don't fight against God in the lesson. Uh, Hamas, you better watch it. All those who fought against Israel in the region have all been sorry. I remember when Arafat in the 70s said, we will stomp out Israel with his towel on his head. He said, we will kill Israel, we'll destroy Israel. Our mission is destroyed. I bought Israel from the face of the earth. And where's Arafat now? Well, everyone has tried to uh, beat up on Israel. And then you had the Six-Day War. What happened to that one? Miraculous intervention by God. What happened? He's a man of war, so don't fight against him. And, um, of course, there's a personal lesson with that, too. Individuals should not fight against God. They should not strive against him. Because they will never win against him. Don't run from God because he'll always catch you. Now, look at verses uh, 20 and 21. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Once again, the deliverance, the, the emancipation, the exodus, enemy defeated, they have freedom. They have conquered the enemy. Never again will they bother them, which is a good reason to not uh, be sad, a good reason to be happy, a good reason to rejoice. Can you think of a time in which, in, in a regular life, where it's not a war thing, but something has been relieved from you so that you never have to face this problem again? Many things in life remind you about these Bible accounts. Uh, one could be, if you've ever been in trouble with the tax man, with the IRS, you've ignored paying taxes for several years and then it catches up with you and they always catch up with you nowadays even more so but they won't they won't bother for two or three years then you get these letters and saying um and it, it's a scary thing to get something from the irs and then uh letters saying uh you did not file you did not pay and you have you owe this plus penalties and interest so it's a demand that is to pay up if you pay up they let you no problem you just take care of this year's taxes but if they keep ignoring the letters, the letters keep successfully become more serious and more intimidating. Now someone's gonna come to your home or show up at the local federal uh, building and you know state your case and explain yourself kind of thing. And if you keep ignoring them, it just piles up. But if you take care of it, you pay every penalty, every fine, everything you pay, it, you have zero balance. What a relief that is. What a relief that is. And so, defeating someone here, but even more so because they've been free from slavery. And they've been free to be on their own. They've been free to worship God as they please. 
No one's going to tell them you can't do this anymore. There's freedom. And so uh, when World War II was over with the Axis powers, Japan, Germany, and Italy, when the war was over in Europe and in the Pacific Theater, there was a lot of celebrating in New York City ticker tape parades. Everybody was happy. You could see that in black and white pictures, all this confetti falling down from high rises going down in New York. Everybody's so happy. Why? They've been free. The war's over. No more death, no more killing, no more of our, our sons and daughters going off to war. And, uh, all this stuff is done with. It's over. And this is now a new beginning, a new chapter of life. We have freedom now. We can go, and people go back to Dunkirk. People go back to uh, Normandy and they see where the landing ships came in on those beaches of Normandy. And uh, now you can go there without any harassment, without being shot at, because the war is over. And then you have uh, those hills up there with those big guns were from Germany. Uh, oh, what is those hills called? The big hills with that where uh, young men went up there, 200 of them, and uh, they parachuted down and they climbed those hills and um, they took out those um, those bunkers. And if it wasn't for them, uh, of course, a lot more death would happen with those landing crafts coming in. Uh, name of that hill, oh, I can see it in my head. Anyway, uh, the war is over, you can go over there and no one's gonna shoot at you. No one's gonna shoot at you. You're safe now because the war is over and there's great rejoicing. Israel is so happy now. They're singing a song, Exodus 15. They're so happy as they should be. Now look at chapter 15, verse number 13. Something kind of interesting here. Chapter 15 of Exodus, verse number 13. 15, 13. As they sing, Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto... What's, what the wording is here? Unto thy holy habitation. Unto thy holy habitation. <laughs> Have you ever heard Israel called the Holy Land? Let's go visit the Holy Land. A tour of the Holy... Why is it called the Holy Land? Well, because it's called the Holy Habitation. God will lead them into His land for them, the Holy Habitation. Now, why is it called the Holy Habitation or the Holy Land? Well, number one, because God gave them the land. God gave, a holy God gave Israel the land. Number two, because the people of God were to be in the land, and the, because they're in the land, they are separate unto God. They are, in a way, sanctifying the land. So where God's people were, God would bless them, protect them, and bless their land. So in those two senses, it is the holy land, uh, the holy um, habitation. And so... Now, on a spiritual sense, on a spiritual sense, in a spiritual note, the New Testament church, which is not Israel, and Israel is not the New Testament church, both have not swapped. Both are still the same. The Old Testament nation of Israel is still that. It will still be that. God will still deal with them. The New Testament church is a mystery. It's not in the Old Testament. Uh, there's a word in Numbers about the congregation of the church in Israel. The church, the word church is simply assembly, so the assembly of the nation of Israel in that sense. But there's no New Testament church in the Old Testament. It's a mystery. They didn't know about that. New Testament church is New Testament church. We have um, specified officers, pastors, and deacons, and then you have several things that take place in the local church. And so that's a different thing. So the, the church here is a spiritual body. The local church is the, the manifestation of the spiritual body. The church assembles in a certain place on Sunday. So when we assemble here, this simple humble room is a church now. 
Before that, it's just a room. Any building that's a church is just a building. It could be a barn, it could be a hotel room, it could be this room. It's just a space. But when the people assemble, it's the church. Because the church is people, uh, redeemed souls. And when the church assembles, then the church is there. When the church is not here, the church is out there. <laughs> and so the people are the church, the, the seats, the things. Now we say take up the church, keep the church clean, and all this. And this all because it's appropriate that God's place, God's house, God's barn, the sheep have a barn. Uh, it's supposed to be appropriate for worshiping God. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be trashy. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be desecrated by worldly things. Uh, and when Israel was in the land, it's a holy habitation because Israel is there. God's people is there. And so when churches, when, when the church assembles, uh, we are to be reflective of a holy habitation. Now, we don't live in here. You live in your homes. You live where you live. But when you assemble, it's like the church is gathered together. And when we have things going on in church, worship and singing and, and preaching and teaching and the, 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 the elements of church, uh, things should reflect holiness. Things should reflect godliness. Things should reflect, get our minds off the world and get our minds on God while we're at church. See, so we should not, again, the word desecrate church, something holy by something unholy. What could be something unholy in church in the name of worship in church? Now think of some things that could be considered desecration. Now desecration um, in the tribulation, the Antichrist don't desecrate the temple by offering a sacrifice that's not appropriate, see? So that's desecration, not fit for what was done or will be done. And um, what could be done in church that's not fit to be done that's considered desecration or unholy or unrighteous or inappropriate? What are some things that can happen in the church? Now, think with me, because this is a good point to, to hammer on and to remind us about church is a holy habitation. Okay. One of the problems of, of thinking is not saying things, keeping it to yourself. What are some things that could be considered wrong in church? First of all, first of all, church is supposed to be reflective of the one we worship, holy God. Church is supposed to be reflective of the people who are consecrated, separate unto God. So what we do is supposed to be reflective of that. Church is supposed to be a sanctuary from the world. You heard of sanctuary cities? They're untouchable from our laws because they're by the all-wise Democrats. Sanctuary cities. Can't touch them no matter what they do. Well, the church is a sanctuary and as a matter of fact, think about this. In the Old Testament, those five cities, six cities of refuge, were a sanctuary for the one who has killed someone. And he comes to the to the city of refuge. He waits for the elders to assemble, hear his evidence, and they decide if he was guilty of murder or it was a manslaughter issue. So he is in a sanctuary city, the city of refuge. Church is like a sanctuary. From what? I already gave you a clue. So tell us. What are we? What can happen in a church that will desecrate the church, the sanctity of church? Anybody got a thought? Sensual music. Okay, music is one of the big things that can go bad. Okay, music can also go bad in the name of worship, in the name of 
come being the seekers. So you can have jungle music in church. It'll appeal to a lot of people, and they can go and say, wow, that was really cool. I really enjoyed it. How'd you like church? Oh, I really liked it. It was so good. Why? Why is it an important question? Why? Well, because music is so good. Whatever trends people use today, oh, so I'll just say good. Oh, so good. Oh, oh so good. Why was it good, though? <laughs> music is a big part of that desecrating of something holy. Anything else? Give me that. Unbiblical teaching, that is popular teaching, uh, appealing to things that people like, and it's not right, but people like some things, and it's not something that is good, but people like it, therefore teaching accommodates things like that. Um, prosperity teaching is always a big target because it's always still true, and um, making the people feel like they are special to the place where God listens to them, God has to obey them. Unbelievably, you will hear people today, even today, even recent days of people who are prosperity teachers say things like, you are not a child of God, you're like God. So you can create reality by the words that you say. Well, only God can create reality with the words that he says. That's right. And with a snap of the finger, <laughs> he can create things, but you can't. Uh, I'll never forget back in the 70s, I heard a woman from Denver, Colorado. Her name is uh, Marilyn Hickey. Her sister now, her daughter now is the pastor of the church, which is a problem already, isn't it? So she said, I saw on TV, I saw on TV on the big, big TV back so long ago where the tube is that big. No flat screens back in these days. We're living in Kukui uh, Plaza. And so I heard her teach one time and um, very charismatic woman and she was saying, men, take out your billfold. And she was demonstrating, take out your billfold. Women, take out your purse. And say to your billfold, and say to your purse, listen, you are full of money. <laughs> now that is what she was teaching. And then she says, take out your checkbook. And say to your checkbook, you are full of money. And I thought, you're full of something. Because you don't have money because you say you have money. Your checkbook doesn't have a balance of $10,000 if it's only got a balance of $5. But she's speaking reality into something that's not there, but you can create reality because, and that's foolish teaching. That's hurtful teaching. The other one is, if you give, gotta give you back a hundredfold. That's foolish teaching too. Mike Brodock is one of the most, most dangerous, most, um, uh, he has done so much damage, Mike Murdoch from Texas, and he'll boldly come up to you like this, and he'll, he'll just, you know, he'll say, I want you to know, he come real close to the camera, I want you to know, you give to God, you receive faith of a thousand dollars, God give you back a hundred fold, I guarantee you, and he'll say it so convincingly. Now, he can only appeal to middle class people. Only middle class people can respond to him, not poor people. So, uh, he's raked it in, Many others have raked it in. That's a way of desecrating the temple. One more example, anything else? Okay, we got music, we got false teaching, bad teaching, unbiblical teaching, anything else? Diminishing Jesus. Uh, redu reducing. Yeah, reducing Christ to an inferior. 
reducing Christ from his what he is, God, to a mere man, even lessening him so that you as a Christian has authority over him. Now that's all pretty sick type of interpreting the Bible. I'll add one more. What about the unholy apparel? Unholy dressing. Unholy dressing. Now, this one is a big one too. It goes right along with the music because those who perform on stage in a, in a music production in the name of a worship team, often they are dressed in such a way that you would think, where are we? Where are we? You would think that when you're in church, people are dressed a little bit more modestly because they don't want to we're here not for look at me we're here to look at God look at Christ and, and yet people dress in such a way that is the word is provocative and so that's all bad taste but not just in bad taste it is also uh, carnal for people to come to church where they um, uh, take away attention from where attention should be so it would be as bad as if I came with a nose plug one day or earrings like, uh, or if I dress like Liberace. If I dress like Liberace, remember Liberace, anybody? Liberace, the piano player? I mean, he was, he was glamorous. He was extravagant. It was a Las Vegas show. And if, if Francis ever came like that, I would say, Francis, what are you doing? Go back to normal life. You know, so there's a good sense to me to be careful about. And so the people of God were in the whole, thy holy habitation. They will get there, the holy land, and the New, New Testament by lesson, by application. You know, we are a sanctuary from the world. So when we come to church, we, it should be like a relief to be away from a week of being in the world. You could have had a bad week. You could have had people yell at you. You could have people swearing all around you. You could have had all this raunchy music all around you. And you come to church, what should you have? Same thing? No. Different thing. So we assemble out of the world so that we can get close to God again and get our spiritual batteries um, refreshed again so that when we go back, we can face the world a little bit stronger on Monday because we were in church, our holy habitation, our sanctuary city, okay? So that's what should happen. And it can happen that way. It should happen that way. So no worldly influences in church to desecrate the holy habitation. Uh, chapter 15, verse 22. Here's trouble coming. This, is a, this chapter is a song of praise, but trouble is going to come. Verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. He led them. He didn't bring them, but you know what the Bible means. He led them. He brought them uh, to the, uh, from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the water of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. So they come to a, an oasis, three days, just three days, just, just three days, not even half, just three days into the wilderness, and they begin to get thirsty, they begin to uh, wonder about water, and they, even more than that, they begin, to, they begin to fuss. The water that came to this oasis, it was not drinkable. It was bitter. We don't know what the condition of the water was, but they took a sip, they got, scooped a handful, they, they spit it out, ah, this is that. Ah. Made them sick, made them throw up even. Maybe somebody guzzled the water. 
Maybe some guy, some sips guy ran ahead of his family, he got the water, put his face in the water, he drank, drank it down, and all of a sudden he threw up. He got sick. It was bitter. Look at verse 24. And the people did this. What did the people do when they came to water they could not drink? The people murmured. What's another word for murmuring? Complain. What's another word for complaining? Belly aching. What's another word for belly aching? Whining. Okay, all of this is expressed in the word murmuring because the water was not drinkable. The people murmured against Moses. Why against Moses? Easy target. He was the physical, fleshly embodiment of God not taking care of us. So we're going to blame the man of God instead. The people murmured against Moses saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord. We'll stop there, but I'll say this. Uh, the trouble came because shortly after they come out of Egypt, just three days, uh, they complained about the water that's bitter. They can't drink it. They're still thirsty. They're still thirsty. Now, first of all, it was reasonable that they were thirsty. Secondly, it's reasonable that they needed water. Everybody needs water. I think they say you can't go three days without water normally. So water is a necessity of life, and uh, you, you can't go without water. So it's reasonable that they were thirsty and they were, they were complaining about that. But they have short memory, don't they? And the root of their complaining is that their memory is so short. They were just three days away from a great deliverance. Not even half a week, and here they are saying, what is going on over here? We need water. Moses, what is going on? What shall we drink? As if God was not to provide for them water. He provided for them throughout the plagues. He provided for them the fire by night, the cloud by day. Provided all these things, and they're complaining about not having water. You learn that the people of God, the Hebrews, have very short memory. They complain so much because they forget so quickly. Uh, we're kind of like them sometimes, by the way. Look at verse 25. He cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Don't know what tree it was, because it doesn't say. Showed him a tree. Could have been a pineapple tree. I don't think so. Which, when he had cast into the waters... The waters are made sweet, drinkable. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee. Now we'll stop there and I'll explain. So whatever tree this was, he was connected to plagues of Egypt, sicknesses of Egypt, diseases of Egypt. So the water was bad. It was not drinkable. It looked like it was, but it really wasn't. Now, all that canal looks like it's clean to swim in. But you better not swim in there if you got a cut or you got a, a wound. It'll, it'll infect it. The water is filthy in all that canal, but it looks so good. So people can jump in all that canal. Oh, water so cool. You take a gulp, you swallow it. Yeah, whenever you swim, you also want to swallow some water accidentally. You get sick. And so the water looked good, but it wasn't good. And uh, there's disease connected to it. And so the Lord says, um, I'm going to test you folks over here. Um, and Moses provided something. God provided for Moses, a tree, kind of a branch even, perhaps, and threw that into the water and became sweet or drinkable. Now, whatever it was, we don't know. Maybe it was the sap of the tree. Maybe something in the tree itself. Maybe in this bark. Maybe the... Who knows what kind of, who knows what it was, but it became drinkable. It was like it, you threw some pills in water to make it drinkable, like the military have. 
Whatever it was, the water became drinkable and they had fresh water. Now, the tree is not named, so we can't guess what it was. We can guess, but we're not going to be right, probably. The main thing is that when Moses obeyed God, provision was done. Now, look at chapter 15, verse 26. Moses said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord thy God. So the plagues, the diseases, and other associated trouble in the flesh for uh, the land and for the people of Egypt, none of these diseases. Now, you want to note that we don't know what the water was like. We don't know what the tree, what the branch, what the, whatever it was. We don't know what it was. But there's there's a almost a promise here that you'll be better off if you obey me. So generally speaking, there is a promise that you'll be better off. You won't have some things happen to you if you obey me. Now, none of these diseases, does that mean that people never get sick if they obey the Lord? Well, not always true because people who are godly, they do get sick. People who are spiritual, they do get sick. Uh, There's a book put out years ago, probably 25 years ago, 30 years ago, Dr. McMillan. Uh, the title was None of These Diseases, coming from this verse. None of these diseases. Uh, and he says that a lot of Israel's uh, health is impacted by what they practice in hygiene and practice in their diet. Uh, for example, what was good for young boys was circumcision, quarantine to prevent the spread of disease, uh, washing of hands and running water, eating food or not eating certain kind of foods, uh, cooking it properly. He says in his book, all of these things reflect Israel's health was improved. They were prevented from having certain kinds of normal reactions, diseases because they didn't partake or they did something that was right. And so God was protecting them. And so a real medical um, help for the people if they obeyed God. Now, the side benefit or the side effect is there's also this thing called emotional well-being. So physical well-being by abstaining from or partaking of certain things. Certain practices would give better health, protect you from going through what people go through because they've ignored God's word. But then there's also this other aspect of none of these diseases in the spiritual sense where you have emotional well-being. Um, well, it's connected to verse 26. If thou would hearken, diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord, would do that which is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes, results. I will put none of these diseases upon thee. That is like saying, if you as a Christian in the New Testament, if you as a Christian seek to obey God, and in your heart you know you've obeyed him today, and you've done your sincere best to obey him today, then whatever happens, you can say, I'm at rest, I have peace of mind, peace of heart, that whatever happens, God allowed to happen. I'm not getting something because I have been sinful or disobedient. That gives you a peace of mind. That gives you a sense of well-being. That gives you a, a relief of stress that, okay, well, I did what is right for today. And if something bad happens to me, so-called, then I'll know that the Lord allowed it to happen. Or if some, you see, so having a, having peace of mind, having um, uh, a heart that says, I've done the right thing today. So whatever happens, it's okay. 
that gives you that gives you some confidence that gives you peace now Philippians 4 7 says and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus that is to say that you will have benefits to your health peace of mind emotionally less anxiety emotionally and uh, so all of these things work together and so he's telling them all right I will protect you as you obey me fair enough good enough and so not a promise that you'll be free from sickness and disease but perhaps less perhaps less um, one example would be if you go into the boxing I mentioned boxing if you go into the boxing ring or MMA with somebody who's real pro and you're gonna fight against him and you're a rookie uh, chance of you getting beat up is very high <laughs> Chances of you getting hit by a car, going down the Alawa Canal wrong way, going down the one-way road wrong way, chances of getting hit and hurt, very high. But if you don't, and you just go like you're supposed to, chances of you avoiding damage to your car and to your body is very high too, that you won't be hurt. That's, that's reasonable. Chances are that if you get a good night's sleep, you won't be grouchy the next day. Well, chances are people brought you anyway but maybe you'll be happier if you just get some sleep chances are you see and so this is how it all plays out i think that's the gist of what he's saying here obey me i'll protect you and if something bad happens get a flat tire uh get hungry get thirsty i will take care of you don't worry about that just trust me well mommy i'm hungry well son i i i know i'm hungry too let me ask that dad uh, our kids are hungry what shall we do I don't know but um, God has brought us out this far we're just in three days out of the exodus and uh, we're thirsty right now and Moses says keep on going and we're just going to follow Moses our leader and uh, I don't know how he's going to provide water for us but he said he would so let's just trust God and then the, if the kid does it at least the parents who have more experience in life they say well, you know we don't see tomorrow we don't see around the corner we don't see us around this hill but we know that God is with us because of the cloud and because of the fire and so we know he's with us so whatever he does let's just be patient and see what God, that gives peace of mind peace of heart it's different from i don't know where we are there's no cloud by day no fire by night I, that's a time to panic <laughs> but it's not a time to panic it's a time to rest and have peace of mind and heart look at verse 27. Uh, they did pray for water i suppose didn't get it at mara but look at verse 27. they came to elam where were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees. How many is that? 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. And don't you know they were happy? All the water to drink until they couldn't drink anymore. And the palm trees were there and all the dates went. And they had refreshment there. So the Lord did provide for them, even though for a while they got kind of mad at God and mad at Moses because. Um, they just were looking by sight and not by faith. And it's a bountiful supply of refreshment. And uh, God took care of them. Now, I'm going to continue in chapter 16 at 1045. But uh, you find this chapter, it's always good to thank God, praise Him, and have good music in your heart, in your home, and in church so that it reminds you about how good God is. And don't, don't, don't forget to be grateful and when things are not so smooth, at this moment or the next moment or a day or two, you know, like that.
Don't be like the Hebrews. Don't be like the Hebrews. 